So this is the first Parsha of the, of the year. Wishing everyone a Gesinter Winter. <laughs> and of course, as we approach the very first words of the Torah that we consider our sacred text, one gets arrested at Bereshah's Bore Elohim. Because what do words mean? What does a sacred text mean? What does the word that was said thousands of years ago mean to us? And of course, because those words are not just a narrative story like Isaac and Jacob, and but make claims as to the origin of the universe, um, how do we take it? And, you know, we don't have to rehearse today the position of the fundamentalists who take every word literally and ignore science. And we don't have to... Um, to take on the apologists, apologetics. But we still have to deal with what does language mean and what does sacred language mean? And the layered approach that I think Kabbalah and Hasidut has assisted me as a fully modern thinking person that believes that one and one makes two and believes even though I don't understand quantum mechanics, but Alan tells me it's real. <laughs> and that um, entanglement is a theory that apparently has mathematical proofs, physics proofs. So, you know, I, I fully admit that I'm buying into the scientific model, which itself is a mythology, and not willing to give up on my sacred text as a text that has meaning for my tradition and wishing to plummet for its spiritual dimensions. And so we walk that very fine line. We walk that, um, that knife edge, what I call the chut shel chesed. It's a Kabbalistic term. And Reb Nachman uses it, that we are, we're hanging by a thread. Kafka makes use of it too, uh, over modernity, over a raging sea. I, I walk that fine line without resolution. I don't claim to any resolution whatsoever because I'm not selling Judaism. Let's dive into the first three words of our sacred literature, which is Bracious Borolokim. And when we consider the first word Bracious and we look at the Christian translations of our Hebrew text, we're told in the beginning, in the beginning, assuming that there's only one beginning, that that's not what the Hebrew means. In fact, that is a very Greek idea, the one and only beginning, because it suggests that God has a fixed, static, distant type of Aristotelian character, an ideal and perfect God, but passive and distant, who has done his work and left. I've told you about this this Catholic um, convocation in the 1600s as to uh, what is the nature of divine providence. Because God's created the world, so what is he doing all the time, right? An ideal and perfect but passive and distant who has done his work and left. He is the watchmaker who, after making the watch, can walk away and take pleasure in his creation. But Bracious 
simply, grammatically, semantically means in a beginning, not in the beginning, or initially even voracious with Roche, with wisdom, or with something else. There are many other possibilities, but none of the possibilities include the idea of the beginning. In fact, if you looked at chapter two, there's a second beginning, and then there's a third beginning, meaning there are three separate narratives about the beginning. So it's not the beginning. The other creation events mentioned in Bracious, chapters two and three, further and clearly confirm that there is not a single event. Well, if you're a scientist, there has to be a beginning, the beginning. I was born on March the 6th, 1950. That's my beginning, right? Well, is it? Is really that my beginning? No, that's not my beginning. I've inherited genes and I had nine months to just germinate with my holy twin sister. It's how you define beginning. One is creation of matter. And the second creation story is the creator breathing life into the matter. And in all, creation is a moment-to-moment, ongoing, seamless, dynamic movement that is unfolding from then to this moment. That's what I see as voracious. And God is constantly interacting with his reflection, his creation, in a relationship of mutuality and reciprocity, and sometimes uh, with anger and with horrific consequences. So it is a very fraught relationship over our history. But clearly, in the Kabbalistic tradition, he wants to be known by his creation and establishes a relationship with his creation that does not start at the beginning. The Zohar mentions other attempts at creation, by the way. Ones that failed because of an imbalance within God between the forces of compassion, chesed, and gevurah, and judgment, dinim. Maybe even the evil within him that he needs to expunge to get out of him as part of the creation story. And so imagine our world still as an experiment that might still collapse. And in Kabbalah, there is the notion of Olam Haba. Now, that doesn't mean the way we look at it in this Christian sense, you know, Dante's Inferno, Judgment Day, but it is that, that there are worlds that may come, that there are worlds that may be created, that, that will evolve. This idea alone introduces a profound new way to perceive the reality of Bracious. And I want to go into the letter mysticism of this, because the Sefer Yetzirah tells us um, that the world was created using building blocks, the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So when we read the text, Bereshis, Borrow, Elohim, are we actually seeing a final permutation that produced our reality and that if we get back to those letters, we could recombine them 
to produce a different reality. I just point you to the periodic table. And the Sefer Yetzirah tells us the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet are a periodic table of spiritual elements, the building blocks of our spiritual universe. So if I want to get behind that the way a chemist would, or maybe I should say an alchemist would, because this is the whole purpose of alchemy, to get to the spiritual nature of gold and and niger and the darkening and the refining and the mercury. If I want to get back to the underlying nature of the universe, of the Boratius, maybe I need to understand the code that unlocks that, which would be the Sefer Yetzirah. Now, I want to demonstrate this in one pasuk. Vayome Elohim, the first action that he did in the creation. Everything else was primordial. The tahom was primordial. The darkness was primordial. But Bereshis Bar Elohim, in the creating of heaven and earth, the very first action is called Yehi Or. Let there be light. Vayahi or, and there was light. Can we look at those, those words very carefully? Yehi or, if we parse it, is the subjunctive. Let there be light. Vayahi or is the vavhahipuch. So it's the yehi or that was in the subjunctive with a vavhahipuch to convert it into a completed action. Really interested. And the Breshit Rabbah already picks up on that and says, should it not be written, or Every other created action, it says, Yikavu Hamayim, do this, Tadshe Oretz, Vayahichain, Vaharetz Tadshe. And the water's gathered in the perfect tense. Only here, when it comes to light, does it say, Yehi or, let there be light. And it doesn't say, Vahaya or, there was light, but Va Yehi or, meaning, and there will be light, or and there was light. It is the possibility through the grammar and parsing of Vayahi Or, that that light is continuing. The Vayahi Or, which can mean only, and there was light. A completed action to which the Zohar makes the radical claim it already was. And my talk of my <laughs> today's is the light that was. If I can read it to you in Hebrew... That um or or kvar. What does that mean? The light that already was. Apparently, there was an already a light. Otherwise, it would have said or, and now light came into being in a completed action. But by using the vav hahipuch, the zoyar, in beautiful midrashic misreading learn something very profound that affects the whole way we look at Beratius. Vayahi or means when God said, let there be light, he is bringing into our world a light that was already there. 
which then t- completely turns around the first Pasuk of Breshis. The Ha'aretz Hayachoshech. And there was darkness. Yeah, there was darkness because he hadn't yet brought the light in. Okay, so then what kind of a light is it? And the Zoya quotes Rabbi Yossi, Hahu or it ganis. This is a light that would eventually be buried. And it was reserved for the tzaddikim, the olam haba. Now, why is he saying that? Well, we already know in Breshit Rabbah that there's a big problem. If the sun is created on day four, what's light doing on day one? The first day of creation is the creation of light. And, and God creates that at the beginning in the world to distinguish between day and night. Day and night... Day and night is controlled by the luminaries on day four. So obviously, in the mind of the Torah, already day one, there is a day and a night. Again, I'm not going to get into the association of Orthodox Jewish scientists who used to meet on Sunday afternoons in Golders Green. And I used to join at age 16 because in my philosophical quest, I already had serious questions about Bracious and evolution, and creation. And they would sit there drinking their cups of tea. Big professors from Imperial College of Science, but highly orthodox from Germany, refugees from Germany. And so they would say, it's very, very interesting. Obviously, if the luminaries were not created until day four, day and night didn't mean 24 hours. And so we've solved the problem. And they would drink their tea and their scones. But clearly, I can't buy into that apologetics. And I'll tell you why later. So the light that God creates at the very beginning divides the time in world between day and night. Okay. And then in day four, God says the same thing. And of course... The Kabbalistic and Midrashic, already in Breshit Rabbah, uh, this is a problem. And the Gemara in Chagiga 12a says, V'or bayom rishon avre. But light was created in the first day. Why are you telling me day four? V'hoksiv v'yit elokim b'rakiyah shemaim. Uksiv v'yer v'yvoke yom echad. Or v'yom raviyim. Kitarabi Elazar, Da'ama Rabbi Elazar, and there's the famous Gemara based on Medrash Rabba, uh, Genesis Rabba 6. Or Shebara Hagodesh Boruchu Bayom Rishon, Adam Tsofer, Bo Misofa Lomat Sofa. Adam could, with that light, you could see from one end of the world to the other. That wasn't just sun rays, that was some kind of light that gave you a visual perception that you could see. Remember, in the ancient mind, light came out of the eye, didn't go into the eye. So light would come out of the eye, and with that light, you could see from one end of the world to the other. You know, there's a Gomorrah in Gittin that says that an ibu betoch me'e imo, that a baby in the womb of its mother Ner daluk al rosho, there is that same ner that's ganuz on his head, 
Umabit mi sof olom at soflom, from which a fetus can see from one end of the world to the other. So this isn't cognitive perception, right? If he's talking about a fetus, there's some kind of non-cognitive perception. Umalach and a malach, I think I told you once, in Gomorrah it's masculine. In uh, Zoya it's feminine. Her name is Lila. Uh, teaches him kolatorakulo. That's the same light that he's talking about. Okay, but what happened? Since the Abishta saw and was able to see by the door ha-flogga and the door ha-mabul, and saw that people were misusing this or haganus. What did he do? Amad v'niknaz mehem. At some point in history, this first primordial light that was from the first day of creation was hidden and buried. Shenema vayimna mirashorim orom. It says in Job, but from the wicked their light is withheld. Beautiful. He's taking from Job 38, right at the end of Job when he is reconciled and he's says, I, I was wrong, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, and from the wicked, the light is withheld. What light? Ah, oh, that light from the first day of creation. So if you bury something, you didn't destroy it, meaning one day you're going to pull it out. And God saw that first day of light that it was ki tov. Ein tov elot tzadik, because it says imru tzadik ki tov. Because tov, it means the tzaddik. So this original light was buried, and therefore on day four, we needed a new light, which was the luminaries. Okay. Kivan shera or niknas le tzaddikim samach. And since God saw the light he had reserved for the righteous, he rejoiced. Senema or tzaddikim yismach, Isaiah 3. He rejoices in the light of the righteous. Very nice. Unfortunately, within our tradition, uh, that or nignaz apparently is la'osid lovo for the tzaddikim. Comes along the Baal Shem HaKodesh with a very radical statement. And the Baal Shem HaKodesh says, oh, wait a minute, I want to bring you a balaturim, and it's quoted by his grandson, the Degel, in which the word nignaz, it was, it was ki habal haturim perash, the bala haturim says, where did God hide this light? In a beautiful, beautiful, sweet Torah, he says, on Genesis 1-4, he took et ha'or, he saw et ha'or, the, the light, could have said vayar ha'or, but he said et ha'or, Bigematria Batorah. The gematria of Etaor is Batorah. So therefore, Vayar Elokim Etaor Kitov Lignos. The Kitov isn't just for the Tzadikim, Tov Ain't Tov Elo Tzadik, but he did it where? Where would the Tzadik find it? And comes along the Balaturim and says he will find it. Heichon Gnoso, where's he buried it? Okay, he buried it. And he's going to pull it out and he's going to keep it for them. But where did he bury it? I'll tell you where he buried it. But et ha'or, in the et ha'or. Vayar lakim et ha'or. He saw, he buried the light, 
Mamush, Hainu Batora in the Torah. Shehu Mispar et Ha'or. It's so cute. So it's not for the Tzadikim just in the world to come. It's for the Tzadikim Olam Haba in the world that is unfolding, as we said before, in the Kabbalistic sense. Every generation is Olam Haba, a world unfolding. And the Tzadikim of any generation that wishes to find that Or Haganus, that hidden light, has to dig because it's buried. It's not on the surface. You won't find it in the words Bereshis Baralakim. You have to dig by using the permutations of Sefi Yitzira and the Tzirufi Osius to dig deep into the Torah. Baal Shem Tov takes it even further. And he says that the Shomati Me'adonui the, the Degel says, I heard from my grandfather, I was sitting on his lap. And he said, Yes, God was Gnazoba Torah. Now you think he's got to dig because he has to steig, he has to go into the to- No. That text of the Torah is a magical text. It contains a hidden light. And that light they can make use of to do what the fetus can do and what Adam Arishon can do to see from one end of the world to the other. Again, we're restricted to tzatzikim. And the tzaddik who has done that inner work to delve into digging into the Torah, the Torah as a magical text, because it allows him a perception he didn't have if he was just studying the text as an intellectual exercise. Kamosha ra'u enai now, there are letters between, there are very few writings from the Baal Shem. One of the few writings are letters to Gershon Kitava, who was in Eretz Israel. And the point was whether he should come back or stay. This was a whole problem in, in the early 1700s between the Jews who had moved to Eretz Israel on the advice of Gedolim in Europe and they were impoverished, and they were persecuted. The whole issue about whether they should come back or not. And he sees Gershon Kitava in Chutz Lawrence. Other people, the commander says the story is different. There was a man who was looking for his son, who was lost, and he came to the Baal Shem, and the Baal Shem says, no, no, he's in this city. And the guy made fun of him on the way out of town. He says, he thinks he knows where my son is. And it and he came back to ask Mechila from the Baal Shem HaKadosh. But what the point is, the Baal Shem HaKadosh is saying, he's not using the Torah as, he's using it as a sacred text, but he's using it and plumbing it for a certain visual perceptive reality. Moshe Edel has talked about this in Kabbalah. It's called ecstatic Kabbalah. Started with Rabbi Azriel of Girona, and Abu Lafia in Spain, and it comes all the way down through Italy to the Safed mystics, in which Torah becomes a vehicle, a medium for metamorphosis and for visualizing. Okay, now let's end 
with the democratization of this idea. We started off, it's for the world to come. And then the Baalaturim says, well, it's not in the world to come. It's actually in the Torah and you can access it. Comes the Baal Shem Torah. Yes, Tzadikim can access it at every generation. And not only that, I can see with that light, bisofolom atsofolom. Now let's listen to a 20th century reduction of that as applicable not to Tzadikim, but to every Jew. And the Slonimus says in Pasha's Bracious, in the name of his uh, grandfather, the Lekovitz, the Rebbe, Vayoma Hashem Yehi Or Vayehi Or. Vayome, and he said, God said, parenthesis, Kashe Ish Yehudi Hashruya Bechashecha, Vachoshech Al Pinesahom. The beginning, God created the world, meaning he created a Yid, and as he creates him, unrefined, Having not done his inner work, finding himself and his place and his tafkid in the world, he's in darkness. But when God says, Yehi Or, and when he then says, Yehi Or, it's not God saying Yehi Or, so beautiful. The Yid says, Yehi Or, Elohim, Reboina Shaloylam. I am steeped in darkness, my life, my addictions, my past abuse, my genetics, the prison I am in, COVID, the state of our world, unredeemed. I'm asking for you. I'm in total darkness. I'm in a fog. He shrieks out and he cries out in his Boidudus. Then Oz Vayhi Or. Then comes this light that's been Ganus since creation. Not the light of the sun. For the Slonomer, light and darkness is all about spiritual enlightenment. For the Slonomer, the 20th century par excellence Rebbe is teaching us something deeply psychological. That the world is a spiritual darkness and the Torah is a roadmap of light in that spiritual darkness. But how do you access it? Most people are doing the daf yomi every day and they're steiging away. They don't have enlightenment. What he's saying is you access that enlightenment not through the Sefer Yetzirah and the permutations and the alchemy and the chemistry of this all, and not through enlightenment, through the mystical practices of the Arizal, but through the basic, based on Breslava teachings, his Boidadus shrieking out to the Reboina Shalolam, Gewalt, Reboina Shalolam, I'm in darkness, Elohim, Yehi Or, could you please give me some light? Ozvah Yehi Or. That primordial light that was buried, Nignaz, it was buried for one purpose only, Avur Yehudi Hamavakesh Mehashem Sheyairlo. Wow. It's for the Yid who is asking God to enlighten him. Hainu Sheyaor Haganuz Nignaz Rak. It's only buried for those who don't seek it.
It's an unbelievable claim. It is automatic. If you ask for it, you will be granted. Why? Ki below or elokus ein Yehudi yachol lechayot litkayem afilu regahu. Now he conflates the or haganus with hachius, this vitality that I can't live for a minute without God being yotze or ovorechoshech ose shalom every minute. I am being sustained by the light of the divine. Without it, I would not be in existence. That light is the light of the Oregonus. That's the hermeneutic step that the Slonomer makes by saying, Yehudi Amavakesh, it's automatic. Why is it automatic? Until the whole tradition says you've got to dig, you've got to do this, that, and the other. No, it's automatic. Why? Because of this underlying Hasidish notion that without the or elokis, a person can't survive. Materially, yeah, you can get by, you can pay your bills, you can even do the daf yomi and steig, but you're not living an enlightened life. And I think that yehi or, that is ganus for the tzaddikim lasid lovo, is the light that the slonim is talking about, that we have to ask for from the universe, from the rabbi shalom, whatever you want to call it, to enlighten our spiritual lives through these dark times. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Good Chodesh, Mar Cheshven, and uh, we should all be zoiche to that Or Haganus of the first day of creation.